Hello, and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. For this episode, we listened to How to Fail with Elizabeth Day. These are her edited highlights of our conversation, inspired by her episodes with Nadia Hussein and Andrew Scott. This was my first How to Fail podcast that I'd listened to. I'd had it recommended from a couple of people. I know there was lots of enthusiasm last time. And I honestly think I may have found a love. I was like, oh, this is epic. I really like it. (laughs) So we're quite open to having different opinions in this group. So if you didn't like it, also feel free to say. But I just wondered, what did people make of it first off? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I listened to it today, actually. And I, I like Nadia anyway when I watched um, Bake Off and uh, I, when I mentioned it to my wife, she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought it was really interesting and just her perspectives on this this kind of idea that actually it's almost like she's in this job now, but she didn't naturally fit earlier on in life and how she's kind of grown into it and learned from the things that she maybe didn't enjoy or didn't naturally fit for her. Mm. So, yeah, I thought it was good. For me, I quite like both the style and the content, I think. Um so it seemed very conversational, whereas some podcasts can be more kind of educational. I felt like I was there just listening, maybe like you would in a coffee shop, just listening in on someone else's conversation, which I quite liked. But also I felt like she was she was almost kind of modeling that mistake making as she was as she was talking as well. So there was nothing, you know, she was happy to maybe say something that she wasn't happy about and then kind of just corrected herself or just kind of reflected on how things have changed for her, which I I felt made me want to listen more and kind of feel like I was able to engage with her rather than feeling like um like I was just going to kind of switch off to her. I just I just felt drawn in by the conversation really. I thought it was it was a useful podcast to listen to. I love the way she started talking about um anxiety being a hidden language. I thought that that really resonated for me. It's resonated when I've reflected on things, but it's also res- really resonated with some aspects of my uh, research and things as well. So um, straight away, it had my attention. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting that. Uh, like you say, she's such an engaging and, and lovely character as well from the Bake Off. Um, it, it's kind of taken me by surprise. Well, I love how to fail. I think it's it's in my top five, maybe top ten. <laughs> um what I really like about Elizabeth Jay is that she she responds to what the person says. Do you ever listen to an interview and then they say something and you're like, oh, my God, like there's so much there. And then they just are like, here's my next question. And they don't like reflect on like what's being said. And I feel almost like she could be good a good OT because <laughs> she's really listening to what the person's saying. And she's really, you know, and even sharing something of herself as well. I, I just think it's a really, it's a really lovely format. Yeah, I just thought it was a fab conversation, very natural and authentic. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like how I wish every initial assessment I ever did would be, they're not, but you know, in my head, like... <laughs> That's kind of how I wish it would come across because she does. It's that she gives so much of herself. I listened to the Marianne Keys one as well, which was just like a, a hug in a podcast form. It was beautiful. But um, it was in that one when they're talk, talking about sort of very personal aspects. And she's like talking through her own and thanking her for sharing the failure because that made her feel. And it was just, yeah, beautiful. But I'm also like Susan, it's possibly in my top, it is in my top five. 
so yeah i mean in terms of some of the things they talked about as well um I and mean, some of the sort of the, the deeper issues and obviously some of the things that she'd experienced when she was younger and a kind of pre-arranged marriage and her parents and um you know some some of the darker stuff i suppose as well and, and the fact that she was talking about it and uh, and the fact that we're talking about it today on um, time to talk day as well is is kind of kind of resonated and it just got me thinking about some of the conversations i've been having um you know some of the some of the racism kind of stuff that she she, she talked about as well and that kind of resonated through a, an example of the conversation i was having today about uh, about that you know, in terms of real practice so uh, it kind of it's, it's stuff that people don't always talk about but the fact that she it, she, she kind of surfaced it was interesting and I think that's almost like for me, some of the themes across it was that all of them almost touched on things that perhaps don't normally get talked about, but then were talked about with um, real insight, really articulate, real empathy. It was it was very, very engaging to listen it did totally feel like someone else described that you were listening in on someone's private conversation but it was just shared in this public domain and and there were so many aspects of different bits of it that resonated with me and made me think about my life and oh I like that and I thought they were really good it somehow felt more real listening to actual people rather than the previous ones we've listened to where it's been two OTs or you know similar having a discussion it can get quite professional there's a lot of the technical language and stuff in there whereas this one was a bit more like you were just listening to a conversation and then you could add the OT lens on the top of it. It's the human stuff isn't it? I listened to the whole of the Nadia one and then I was like but they didn't talk about failing that's really weird. And I think sometimes the theme or the the hook of a podcast can be really in your face. And actually, when I had to listen to it again, and then I listened to four more. So yeah, it might be in my top five too. But, you know, when I listened to it and paid a, t- paid a bit more attention, obviously they did, and they did mention the failing. But actually, it was such a nice conversation. And as, you, as you've picked up on, so interactive and just sort of naturally flowing that... I had managed to come away with that sort of sense that it was just about her whole life. And as you said, Fiona, I think, you know, if that had been an initial assessment, wow, I'd not thought of it like that. But wow, that would have been an amazing one, wouldn't it? Like just flowing throughout your life and covering all the topics and not really being forced in any direction. Yeah, she must be such a good interviewer to be able to do that. Nadia said that as well, didn't she, about talking about the things before she's asked about the things. So she kind of takes ownership of the conversation and it's very much her narrative rather than another person's interpretation of what they think they might find from listening to her narrative. That really made me think about, and then talking about like initial interviews, like a lot of times, and maybe more so people that we might meet with mental health or chronic conditions, they're bringing their own version or their own way of telling that story they've told it many maybe many Mm. times maybe people listened to them maybe people didn't listen to them and now they're trying to get it out in such a way that we'll hear them you know um I don't know just made me think of that it's it's quite interesting that because we've actually got quite a bit to learn from listening to other people's styles of asking those open questions haven't we because you do learn your, your therapeutic 
discussion you use you learn your therapeutic conversation but to keep those skills fresh it's good to not just listen to your own voice doing that it's good to hear others in practice but also and I've, I've never considered that to actually listen to um other people interviewing other people and you know in any format like you say in a in a news report in a podcast or whatever to listen to actually listen to those particular phrases and those particular words that help people open up because like you say it's so natural wasn't it but why why was it natural there was something in there that helped that person open open up as much as Nadia being such a talkative um (laughs) ray of sunshine within it as well it's like the reality of that everybody who goes on that podcast will have heard the previous podcast won't they that they'll have seen the culture of what that podcast is like and you don't sign up for it if you're not prepared to go and talk and they've clearly had an exchange of emails and conversation in context before isn't it it's not quite the same as a an initial interview where you just rock up and you're meeting someone at a point where they perhaps something's making them vulnerable in their life and there's yeah. a different context to that's, it that's right maybe as well there's that sh- that shift in the thinking from what are failures to what she considered to be more the sort what we would see as the kind of the interventions or the actions that she's taken so she wasn't just reflecting on what didn't go well she was naturally kind of drawing out what she did to address situations where she could or how she dresses it now particularly with her children and and how she encourages them to see things differently and I thought um comparing that to kind of practice actually again that would be a really good interview or meeting with somebody if they're naturally starting to think about how they how they've done things better for themselves and where their own strengths are. And again, that's probably reflective of the, the interviewer, isn't it, partly, um, and really drawing that out. And I thought that's a that's definitely a skill that I'd want to be able to use in practice as well, I think. I think that's a, a strength of OT as a profession anyway, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. um, so people come to us with their problems and yet we listen to the problems, but we also focus on their strengths as well and, and the whole of them. Um, so it's like it's definitely aligned with OT. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it almost seems like she's reframed things. So perhaps some experiences that were fails at the time. Well, that that's how I heard um, the way she was speaking. So she's telling a story after reframing it. So it's a very positive, happy story in a happy tone. But actually. She's included a lot of times where things haven't gone right or things have, things have been particularly painful and they have been a fail or particularly anxiety provoking. So as a, as a life narrative, it's really got quite quite a lot of depth there. There's a lot of pain at times, um, but she's very good at reframing things, isn't she? Because she's so positive. And I love the way that uh, she was describing about talking to her kids about reframing, you know, reframing the day. What have you done? What haven't you done within your day? Is there anything that you would have liked to have done or achieved within your day? It's almost like she's learned through all these experiences, the importance of reframing. And it feels like she's trying to teach that as a life skill to her kids. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody else heard that as well. Mm. absolutely it's like she was she's kind of coaching them through that adaptation process really and where you might see those barriers and those injustices she's kind of taken how how she's 
done things differently herself and and taught her children to to use those skills I really I really liked that actually but she seemed to recognize the difficulties from their perspective though she wasn't forcing it upon them it was just skills that she was sharing with them I I really like that concept of reframing I I use it quite a lot Mm. I, I mean, I guess I use it even just with people I work with. It's just trying to help them sometimes to see see things differently or just to reflect back and say, actually, out of that situation, things are going to go wrong. You know, life isn't perfect, is it? And there's going to be things that you can learn from. You know, maybe just think about it sometimes in different ways. You might you might see things differently and actually come out the other side of it okay. That's the beauty of the whole podcast, though. Yeah, when things don't work, um, they're often really painful, personal, big events. But because it's looked at as the whole narrative, the whole podcast lets that reframing happen. Yeah, through all of them. I think it is. It's just that reminder, isn't it, that you need to get to the end of the story to understand the story. You can't just come in at the plot twist. You've got to kind of keep going through it all. Reframing can't happen in the there and then. Mm. It can only happen through that process of moving forward, moving through and looking back. Reflection on action. Reflection on action. And some of that, like I did hear loads of that positive reframing and perhaps hadn't applied that label to it, but I can see it now. But as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, one, I think there's an element of you do need to get to a place where you're doing it naturally for yourself. But I think almost society puts an expectation and definitely mental health services as well, put an expectation on it that you you must reframe and you must have this positive spin on it and some things I just go no you do just have to actually acknowledge that it was terrible and not necessarily have to find a positive spin on it I was teaching Moho recently and in the O'Care's assessment it's got this section where it's about looking at the whole of your life do you think it's been more generally more positive generally more negative and it rates it that if you think it was positive that that's the good thing And I read it and I was a little bit like, actually, I think I have issues with that. Like, that's not that's not okay, is it? If people have had terrible circumstances, they should be able to go. That was whatever language they'd want to use (laughs) and not have to put a positive spin on it. If if they're not wanting to at that moment, we do learn from stuff. But I think there's a real societal danger of like a pressure to be positive. It's that um, sunshine and unicorns thing, what Beck Twinley said, isn't it? Like, life isn't all sunshine and unicorns, so let's let's not try and force it to be. Mm. Sometimes it's just about being able to sit with how you feel. It's not going to make you feel better, and you're not going to find a positive in it at the moment. But if you can sit with that feeling of it not being okay and still function, then that that's okay. But also if we can sit with it, like I think that's, that's a it, challenge yeah. for us. But, you know, like I remember on one placement I had, uh, I had a Zimbabwean um, supervisor and he was fantastic. And he said, uh, OTs want people to be sick. Like we want to have clients to work with. We want to have like if everyone was just totally fine tomorrow, we'd have no one to work with. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that framing of it. But like the idea that OTs are real fixers, you know, like we're real like, get in there. It's not that bad. Like we'll come up with something, you know. <laughs> um, but for us to actually sit with someone who's telling us a terrible story and be like, yeah, that's, yeah. Hard. Yeah, that is that's without terrible. Solving, without solving the problem. Yeah, just to sort of sit in that moment with people. It's about being okay with it not being okay. Yeah. I've been part of 12-step recovery groups and it's that real ability to 
of not fixing just to be able to hear and listen and validate and acknowledge is actually hugely yeah. powerful and it's it's a very natural thing to do you want mm. to make things better you want to make people feel better because that's it, that's just human nature i was just thinking that it's just it is interesting of actually yeah how good actually are we because I, I hear what you say susan about not necessarily agreeing with that person's perspective but actually with the way ot works he has got a point that you know we, we need people to be struggling with their day-to-day occupations otherwise yeah that that's 90 percent of the reason we're employed by places to, to sort of work mm. so actually do we need to i'm thinking more from an educator point of view do we need to do more about how how we let people fail and make we talk about being risk takers but how do we let people fail and and be in that space i was on a session today and there was um talk about positive risk taking mm. and it, and it's kind of part of part of that being allowing people to do things and actually that it's okay to fail and i guess it's about when they do that not to do that kind of paternalistic thing and jump in and say actually oh you failed now we need to we need to sort out another way of doing it actually it's okay maybe just maybe they need to be allowed to fail sometimes a few times to give those learning opportunities or to find different strategies or different ways to actually get to to be able to do the things they want to do their way so I think as well like Nadia was talking about like that hidden language of anxiety maybe there's like a hidden language of failure as well Mm. actually that if we're willing to acknowledge that in ourselves and reflect on that in ourselves then that in itself creates like an unspoken basis for like vulnerable open authentic therapy it's like a safety net isn't it if you start acknowledging you know what all of us are human aren't we we all make mistakes if if you have that like you say um Hannah that authentic conversation it almost starts to build um a safety net for the person that you're speaking to to have that that shared understanding that shared conversation um because if you if you pretend that you never fail you can't get that rapport can you well, then it it's becomes high and mighty professional versus mm. lowly patient. And that's not what a therapeutic relationship is about at all. It hadn't really occurred to me until just now, but there is that whole thing in training about the just right challenge. And actually part of my sort of professional persona is being a bit incompetent. And everyone I work with knows I'm a bit incompetent at a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, you know, when I worked on the ward running groups, it was brilliant if it was something that I didn't really know how to do because someone (laughs) one of the people led it and I just sort of faffed about and did a bit of a worse job than everyone else and they all feel better I'm always pointing out what I've done a bit badly (laughs) with people and that I, I guess it's just how I work that's part of who I am and and I don't think I mean partly I wouldn't be able to do it any other way but um but partly it's really helpful for other people to see, oh, well, you know, you're holding down this professional job. They haven't fired you yet and, and you're, you're doing OK. And you can't be brilliant at, at everything. And it's OK. I, I like asking the stupid questions as well when I don't understand something with, with, with other people around, because chances are they're kind of thinking, oh, I don't know either. And, you know, we're all, we're all just human at the end of the day, aren't we? It made me think of a couple of points from the last podcast for the from the beyond covid one where they were talking about being out walking with somebody and suddenly having people very close and the therapist felt very anxious so i actually acknowledged that with the client and there was that shared experience but also ending the assessment by asking uh, what else could i have asked you or what else could i have said and actually 
there are ways of acknowledging we won't have always got it right or acknowledging that we're struggling that aren't completely going I'm not sure what I'm doing or what, what have you but there's little ways of subtly changing just words that we use that allow that to be part of the process I think if, if we if we always uh, kind of set ourselves apart then and then we're almost setting up so the individual's end goal is to be us rather than to be themselves so if we work collaboratively with them and let them guide and kind of shape how we're working then we get towards something that's much more meaningful and sustainable and long-lasting for them um that's how I kind of see it I think someone was talking at some point about um uh that we need people to be ill to be seen but um there's that that sort of my goal with everyone is for them not to need me Mm. that's you know I'm working towards my own redundancy in pretty much every interaction yeah that's the other side of that yeah I would say that when at the point at which I say well I'm not really working with you on anything anymore and it and it seems really weird especially when you say it in an MDT meeting if other people have still got things they're working with them and then they come to me and I'm like no well you've pretty much completed everything and everyone kind of looks at you as if to say well, what do you mean are you not doing your job it's like no I've, I've finished <laughs> he's okay <laughs> he's functioning yay <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd like to throw the cat and the pigeons there and say yes I am working <laughs> towards redundancy but also I think like whenever I'm working with someone who might have gone to counselling psychotherapy psychology whatever I think like the idea there was be what you might you might do that for six weeks eight weeks ten weeks then you go away for two years or three years then you come back and those people aren't unwell (laughs) you know like I'm very into everyone needs an OT (laughs) I know what I said a minute ago is the opposite of that you know what I mean like I feel like it gets into that life coaching sphere doesn't it it's actually it's okay you know you're actually functional but there might be some other things you might want to look at yeah things you want to tweak like but I think that's okay as well isn't it because that's just taking us out of our traditional settings Mm. and putting us into a different setting and a different life stage and seeing the benefit of the OT lens to not just unwell people depends what area you work in as well doesn't it I think that is about context more than about the OT role potential, because if we're all about maximising occupational performance, we're all going to be always on a journey towards wanting to tweak that in one way, shape or form. It's not like I don't think any person ever gets to where, you know, every area in my life is tip top and that's it. I have arrived. Mm. Some people I work with, it's really easy always to focus on the people with the most complex needs or the, the kind of. I don't know the most disruptive lifestyles or the most needy and I'm always thinking how do you how do you kind of pull people back down that kind of life pathway so if at what point if you'd done something differently with them would they never have reached that stage in the first place and just thinking about you know the, the original podcast and how Nadia talked about her life and her life journey could things have been different further back or actually was it as good as it was going to be and she's ended up actually in quite a, quite a good position at what, what 35 years old isn't she doing some really amazing things for me it's always about how can you start to do that kind of early intervention stuff and keep people well and how do you encourage people to to take up activities that are going to keep them well as well it's almost kind of gets into that public health sphere you know kind of general population actually you don't need to access primary and secondary health services because you're okay 
if you if you if you don't if you don't stay doing the right things, then that's where you end up, isn't it? I remember hearing a presentation, or I went to it, but it was somebody talking about the potential for OT to be like a literally a cradle to grave, so that you're kind of referred or allocated an OT at birth, mm. and the OT service then stays with you, right? It wouldn't obviously be the same OT, but that service stays with you just as a member of society rather than because of health or ill health. And you kind of follow the person through every life stage and where there is an issue or an adjustment needed, then the service kind of supports a little bit more until you're ready to, to sort of move on. But I, I love yeah, that. Like that bit of, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I like I sort of I was ready to start, you know, hiring out the village hall and just kind of putting flyers out. I'm here, come find me. Yeah, yeah. But, That's the kind of stuff I'm sort of trying to design what that looks like at the moment. And we do lots of it. So I thought there were, you know, the part where she was talking about she has had anxiety for as long as she can remember. And she was talking about people seeing past the label and actually sort of like diving into, okay, so what is it that's causing that? What is it that's the barrier? What, you know, and I thought, well, that's like, that's like us, isn't it? That's, that's like what we do. And then also some of the stuff about how she has, you know sacked off making plans and is trying to live more in the moment Mm. I was thinking about how when I worked in mental health that was very you know that was something that we used to try and really encourage patients to take on when when we were sort of helping people try and move forward and a, a lot of that sort of links to some of the DBT stuff and yeah the plan bit that you mentioned is really interesting because I picked up on that when when she said if you don't have a plan you can't fail live in the now and I was a bit like oh oh I don't know how I feel about that yeah and I think because I think we I think another thing that we've done in mental health services when I've worked in them before it's been very much you do need a plan like what are you going to do how are you going to plan your time and you know manage this so that sort of, you know, contradicts the whole living in the moment thing. So it's how do you balance that? Because both approaches obviously work well mm. with the right person. Mm. I wasn't sure if she planned more than she thought she did, though. Mm. Yeah. She didn't plan. She also wanted to live 160 miles away. And I thought, well, that sounds like a plan. A bit it? of a plan. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win Bake Off without a plan. Exactly. The other thing that I really got from listening to it is it made me think about some of the previous topics that we've looked at within the podcast club. That element of talking about the things that perhaps we don't necessarily talk about, that Nadia's talked a lot about racial injustice. And then the Marianne Keys one almost talked about childlessness and weight and feminism, which I thought was interesting. And then the Andrew Scott one was about the way he had phrased it was his failure to be heteronormative and I really liked all of those that it took those things that perhaps we don't necessarily talk about and address head on but we should do more of I kind of quite liked it they kind of felt like radically I can't think of a very good word it's radical but normal as well like like it's radical in a way to hear people and high profile people talking about this but then it's like well this is people's lives you know (laughs) this is millions of people out there going yeah that's me or yeah I've experienced that and I think that's you know it's such a gift again and I think like I said I think Elizabeth really draws that out makes it a very comfortable space for people 
very safe space for people. But what you'd said there, Ruth, as well, I thought was really interesting. And again, it's definitely something I've certainly read about, but like about someone feeling like they're the spokesperson, you know, <laughs> like I'm the only one like me in this, what you know, in this industry, this space, this job, whatever, in a way like I've to, I've to lead the way or, you know, pave the way for other people, but then also I don't want to do that. I just want to bake cakes and stuff. So, like that. And she talked about, I think she's written kids' books. And she was like, when I I was a huge reader, but I never saw like an author picture that looked like me and like trying to be all things to all people and be this role model and this spokesperson and the weight of that. And she sort of did just push it off, I think, a bit. And she was right to. She said, there's no space in this world for someone like me. And I was like, Oh, that that is a hugely powerful statement. I could feel it resonating in my body. But the other thing it made me think of is there's like this almost a proverb, um, a man's gift makes room for him. And for me, it really felt like her space was grown by doing the thing that she she loved to do. And that created her space that it was in the doing of the things that their that their lives grew to be what they wanted them to be. And it that was what she made space in just by being who she was and doing what she did. Like we've talked before about being visible, haven't we? That part of that being there visibly doing it was almost challenging preconceived notions in and of itself. But also that that wasn't solely her responsibility to like fight in that corner for the whole of the world. She could just get on with living and enjoying and being. I really like that. For me, it's linked back with, um, I've watched Disney Plus. I was going to say that. that. If you've watched Soul, it talks about that, about finding your spark and what gives your life meaning. And But I think that's almost about what have we got to give? Oh, that's it. <laughs> the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Mm. I thought that was really cool. I have to say that I disagreed with one thing that Nadia said, which was she said, we don't talk about our failures enough. And I don't think that's true. I think we do nothing but talk about our failures and apologizing. And I've done this wrong and I've done that wrong and I should have done this and I should have done that. But not in the way that they were talking about, you know, they were talking about, well, this originally was, you know, very difficult or a failure for me. But in the end, you know, it turned out well or whatever. I think that's the key word, isn't it? Should. Because if you think of anybody that's non-cis or non-heterosexual, then society tells us to be straight, cis, you know, all of those things. So there's that kind of having to own that failure. It's absolutely not a failure. It's anything but a failure, but society tells you it's a failure. Just those expected norms, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that also comes through with Marion Keys in terms of being female and having children. Um, she's sort of talking about that societal expectation that that's what happens and not at how she's learned to do with that. So, yeah, it's really interesting that it's a really strong thing, society. It's very loud and it's very obvious in what its expectations are of all of us. We just more than that like about mental health in general as well and yeah. the stigma about mental health still because society says that you should be like this yeah I was just the other day I was thinking that I've been reading the top the uh Keir Harding Keir Harding stuff on yeah. uh personality 
disorders, sort of borderline personality disorder. And it, it's really interesting watching that whole debate over my career. So starting off working in that area and watching the dialogue and the language and the attitudes change. They're not there yet, but it it has. And it's done that because people have, I suppose it's that people have failed. People have had that experience of it, it not working for them or and it's kind of yeah how that evolves over time I think it's twofold there isn't it um uh, an experience of having failed or having something not worked for you but also an expectation of failure yeah like both things yeah yeah, yeah. it starts to come back to how you frame it and your perspective and you and those two things are not static either no. so for you no, for they're yourself, reflective of society aren't they around us yeah. there was like there was part of Nadia's journey that almost reflected that wasn't there about her cultural expectations and how that may have shifted in her lifespan but it is about that wider society around us and like it absolutely does put expectations on us and make judgments and put values on it and it comes it is that should you're really right Hannah it's that word I should have it's like the telltale it's like the little I don't know the buzzer or the alarm bell or the flashing light bit as soon as somebody starts talking about I should have whose expectations whose values are they working to or are they are they thinking about I think it's also about the word disorder like you talk about personality disorder I'm thinking they've made like um gaming you can have a gaming disorder you can you know previously how differences in sexuality or gender were viewed was very Mm. medicalized I think it's also about how we use the disorder label that should be um seen with very cynical eyes and actually that comes back to the bit you were saying about when Nadia spoken about her anxiety and the sort of the twitter the Twitter storm that kind of came with that really of who owns that experience who owns that language is it the person going through it who has the right to verbalize it and state it and name it and call it or is it this wider group because that came from lots of that that came from I guess another side of people going no that's not proper anxiety this is proper anxiety we're properly anxious this is minimizing so it's kind of yeah it, where does that expectation come from a little bit it's hugely brave, isn't it, to own your story in a public domain? Just huge. Yeah, there's a lot of judgment. Especially if, like we're saying, it's often hard enough to just own it in your own head because of everything going on. It's kind of that, that often feels hard enough. Yeah, and I wonder which of those come first or if it's just like a a symbiotic relationship that part of owning it in the space helps you own it in your head and part of you owning it in your head helps you to be able to own it in the space they must interweave somehow there was something that struck me about kind of the word fail because when they were talk- when Marion Key said she could kind of come up with a hundred million things that she failed at and they had a bit of a discussion about the gender difference and then like apparently sort of the men that get approached quite often go oh but I haven't failed at anything and um, and I found it interesting that in myself, I can tell you a bazillion things I'm bad at, but there's something very concrete in my brain that just went, well, fail. Right. So I failed my driving test the first time and I failed in my terms my SATS three exam. And that was about it. 
And I have this very different, and possibly it sounds like male, a sort of quite concrete interpretation of the word, which I think had I not been made to listen to it, I might not have listened to this because of that, possibly. But isn't that what you've been told you failed at? I was going to uh, I was going to say something different to that because it comes back to that should word because you said there hit the nail on the head you failed in your terms. I think there's something about things that are very concrete as well though where you can like if there's a if there's a concreteness about the failure like a driving test you either have passed it or you <laughs> yeah. haven't passed it you know like in OT you either have passed your assignment or you haven't yeah. you passed the placement or you haven't so there's something about certain experiences that are just like fully concrete because they labeled as that but also yeah. those are ones where there's somebody else has made that assessment of you a little bit as well, haven't they? So somebody else has gone, you have passed or you have failed. Yeah, um, yeah, that was what I was meaning. And that you've been told you've failed. Yeah, yeah it is that either. Whereas failed it. it's really interesting you say you can give a long list of things you're bad at because without mm-hmm. going into details, Angie, you'll probably remember this. Ruth and I are currently on a module where we're getting the students to look at SWOT analysis of themselves. And it's that constant... Okay, you need to make sure you've got some strengths on there. Like your weaknesses box is going to be like three pages long, but please think about your strengths. Think about what it is you are able to do because our ability to pick out our our weaknesses or those things where we don't quite match up, we're not quite, but yeah, again, it is whether we match up and it's who we're matching up to, it's who we can comparison to. That's just interesting. I think as well, like um, like some of the people that I work with are, some of the autistic people I work with or some of the gender diverse people that I work with who are really good but other people are telling them or society or the environment is telling them either directly or indirectly that they don't fit in and so our work sometimes is around that so they're not failing in their occupations they're not you know they're functioning well but it's it's all that external stuff and I think that that's a really that's a really lovely piece of work I can do with people but it's also so strange so topsy-turvy. At the start of the podcast where she says that it's in learning how to fail that we're actually learning how to succeed for me I just kind of put out a jargon you're just put that's occupational performance isn't it that's what we're talking about and then it unpicks what was it that there was the person and what was it that there was the environment and almost in that occupation like in Nadia's case of baking that's where she found her niche and could make it make space but I think that's as I was listening to you Susan that's what I was thinking about when you're talking about actually those people they're actually performing but there's something of an environment that's telling them that that isn't okay and that isn't enough and that's just irritating isn't it that um, came across the PEO as well, when Marianne, the Marion Keys one, where she's talking about her uh, use of alcohol and sort of progression into recovery, because it was not necessarily put as that dark side of occupation, but she was talking very much about her person, the environment she was in, and yeah, what drinking did as an occupation for her, and, and what had to change to sort of move her into another thing it came across there really clearly I thought it's everywhere PEO is everywhere thank you for listening 
we hope you enjoyed our chat. Next time, we'll be listening to the 99% Invisible podcast, episode 412, Where Do We Go From Here? All about inclusive toilets. We hope you can join us then.